Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. Today's guest is with Rick Samada. He is a writer, actor and broadcaster. He's also someone I find really quite hilarious in his columns for The Guardian and someone I find really entertaining and knowledgeable and interesting on Twitter. So it was really lovely to meet him in person. He is also a trained actor and he has appeared on HBO, the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and he has also played a lead role with the Royal Shakespeare Company. That's his official bio but we talk about all sorts of different things in this interview and mainly my questions do focus on his amazing best-selling debut memoir called I Never Said I Loved You which is out now and it has had so many incredible reviews. It really is a beautiful book about mental health and Rick's writing is just incredible. I recommend it and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. We got a bit deep but we also had a laugh as well. So if you liked it please do leave a rating and I will see you next week. I always think of Ganon. I always think of that yoga advert. Ganon. 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 Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on my podcast. Ah! It's such a joy because Sorry, you're my Twitter. <laughs> no, this is how I'm feeling inside. intellectual, right. Hello. <laughs> but it's, I'm meeting a Twitter buddy. Congratulations on your amazing book. I know that many people have enjoyed it because it is a Sunday Times bestseller already. And I know you're cringing probably, but it's just a brilliant book that I'm so glad a lot of people have discovered and read already. And you paint such a vivid and really beautifully done story around mental health, which I think is hard. And it must have been really hard to write in places. But Mm. I just wanted to say how amazing the writing is for the listeners just quickly, because there were so many sentences where I kind of just stopped. And I think, you know, you're reading a good book when you kind of have to just like pause for a minute. And just things like this is a really small example but when you describe depression and how the word is quite similar to like air coming out of a lilo and just these ways you paint things you're a very talented writer <laughs> so that's my whole like weird sucking up thing done. oh my god no, um, I love it can but... we do an hour of that <laughs> that's good for me but my actual question now how was it deciding what to put in and what not to put in because I know you said in, in previous interviews that it wasn't therapy and I know people get confused it's a story and an, an entertaining one as well so I just wondered how did you map out what to put in and, not, and what to leave out well, that's why I chose these these chapters that focus on a particular area or sort of symptom, if you want, like of depression or what it's done to, in my life. So it would make it easier to sort of focus the lens on what was happening in my life at that point through that subject. Mm-hmm. So that was so everything had to tie to the theme of each chapter, whether it's grieving or career or trauma. You know, there's a strong through line. Yeah. And beyond that, there were sorts of things like I wanted to protect the people in my life because, you know, they don't get to tell their story. I'm only telling my side of things and you know, I wanted to be charitable and kind and but also honest. So there's all sorts of careful editorialising that you do in your head to to be fair to people, but also to be honest. So that was something I kept in mind. Did you share uh, any paragraphs like with people kind of during the process? Not during the process. I didn't think about anyone reading it at all. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have written it if I thought anyone was... It's a strange double thing you have to do where you're thinking it's like a diary, although crafted, but I guess maybe we all craft our diaries a little bit. <laughs> just, in case someone... just in case Just in case. But I honestly couldn't have written it if I thought even one other person will read this because I was you know, trying to lay everything bare. Uh, and then it sort of got to publication and I handed in a document, a legal document now, and it's a book and they've bound it up. And I'm like, and then they said, you have to send it to people who are in it to get their approval. And I was like, ooh. And that was a really big mental hurdle. Mm. So yeah, during the process, no, it was just me in my head, very lonely. And then when it was all done, I sent it out to people and I said, this is what I've written and I hope you like it, but it might be difficult. And it and it is difficult for people. You know, there's things I haven't told my mum, there's secrets I've kept from my best friends. You know, it's 
how I felt about relationships. Mm. Yeah, it's really raw yeah, stuff. And it's it really aired in public, really yeah. gracelessly. So, so that was fun. I mean, well, in a beautiful way, though. I mean, I find as well with any research around like addiction or like getting over any trauma, people do try and advise to apparently reach out to people from the past and like apologize or make amends and I always read that and think that's that's a terrifying thing to ask people to do and I know that's different to this but did you feel in in any way like some closure from have, being forced to actually ask people for permission yeah it feels like What's that phrase? On the up and up? No, that sounds boneheaded. What's the phrase? <laughs> you know, it's not above board. Just it felt like I was doing things properly by sh- showing it to them before and making changes if they wanted them. Mm. And mostly they didn't. They were, even when things are difficult, they're like, I see that this is honest and it's, you know, really beautifully told mm. and they were very generous back. So oh, that's really it was a nice sort of reciprocal. Yes, yeah, like I've made this thing out of our shared past mm. and I hope you can appreciate it even though it's difficult and it's, and it was a, a way to develop our relationship in the present, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it's incredibly real. I mean, I am very in awe of that because I know uh, this is totally different, so sorry to make it about me for one second, but when I wrote about real things in my first book, I changed all the names and I changed all the identifiable features and basically chickened out of the whole thing of getting any any ex-boyfriends to read it. I don't think that is chickening out, though. I would rather there wasn't any sort of bleed through into other people's lives. I'd rather it was a self-contained, like it's real, but I want the world to be self-contained in that book and the experience with the reader. So I don't think changing names would actually necessarily be any detriment to that mm-hmm. but I think I think it can actually be a quite a safe holding place for the mm-hmm. work it's just strange that line between kind of fiction and non-fiction because in yeah. a way if you read a memoir where everything's changed you know the names and places and heights and blah 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 it's like is this a real heights. not really <laughs> Have you changed your yeah I remember someone being like you've written about this six foot seven man will he know it's him I was like yes because I've only been out with one guy who's really tall and they were like well you have to change his height. Uh, it's yes. really Because apparently yeah. they can know it's them, but anyone who was in your life at that time mm. is dangerous if they know it's them. Yes. It's, it's a weird one. I was talking about changes. My, <laughs> one of the only changes one of my friends asked me to make was my friend Victoria. <laughs> I've just been talking about this with um She said, I've only read the bits that I'm in and it's not clear that I'm physically attractive. <laughs> So can you go back and make it clear? You've said that I'm a beautiful, you've described me as your beautiful friend, but I'm worried people will think that's about my personality. <laughs> I was like, I don't think they will. <laughs> don't worry. Um, so I went hilarious. back and sarcastically described her. I mean, she's very fit, but <laughs> it wasn't appropriate to the I story. I want a whole but, page about yeah. my, my features. But did, because I know your column in The Guardian is, is so funny. And I know this is very different to that column, but you talk about your friends a bit in that column, don't you? Like you make uh, well, references here and there. Yeah. So are, are people in that way kind of like, oh, Rick does write about the things uh, I've basically lost all my friends that don't want to be written about because it's <laughs> I've now only sort of, yeah, whittled it down to the few sort of <laughs> narcissists and kind of highly tolerant people that just let me do that and, and sort of enjoy it. That's like what you're saying, that thrill of that extra charge of reading something knowing it's real and these are real relationships that exist outside of the page and you're being given, you're allowed to hang out with these people mm-hmm. and they're, they're fun. And that's a really lovely thing that I like to read and I like to write. So yeah, when I can bring um, real people in and my real relationships, mm-hmm. I do like to, although it is, yeah, with a book like this, it's more complicated and less straightforwardly fun. But yeah, but yeah it has a sort of frisson and a charge to it. I think it's really nice. Yeah, it's quite addictive. Like you want to kind of spend time with the book. Like that's what I found reading it. I was just like, I need, I want it. It's like a conversation that you want to carry on and 
Mm. You want to be like, no, I want to talk more. And that was really nice. And I think I wonder if we are like needing that more than ever, because a lot of what we see every day with our eyes isn't real. What we look at. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the point of books. They're meant to be. They're meant to be real. So when you read a book, apparently the areas of your brain that light up are the same that light up when you're spending time with friends. Mm. Like it's real company. So I guess there is something in that. There's something in that kind of a longer form. Yeah. And um, podcasts as well are like hanging out with your best friend. I feel like I know you because I listen to you and I I really see your face and and you're the sort of same in real life and I have you in my ears and it's quite an intimate, friendly thing. So I guess, yeah, I guess we do need that because we are so atomised and isolated most of the time now. From authors I've interviewed in the past who have written about mental health, something that comes up sometimes is just this like need for a bit of a boundary because it's really nice that people will now know you, but that comes at a cost sometimes, doesn't it? Especially when you're going through things yourself. People wanting advice. Yes, I'm not prepared for that. I don't prepare for anything. I'm really prepared for this. (laughs) Um, No, I really should have thought about it more and people were telling me to think about it. Yeah, so already people get in touch a lot and tell me sometimes quite sad things or quite lovely things and it can be a bit overwhelming and I don't really know. I can't help everyone directly. Mm -hmm. But also friends get in touch and tell me things that I would never have known about them and that's been strange and unexpected Mm -hmm. and people you would never... And that's the thing about mental health. It is so... I mean, mental health problems are so prevalent and people are so good at hiding them and it's people you would never think it's the last people you mm-hmm. think of that have suffered with things and people get in touch and say oh I was having panic attacks that time we hung out and you wow. know, I said I was you know going to call my sister or whatever and it's like oh my god wow that's, yeah. that's what was really going on with us, with us and I, I would never have known if I hadn't done this. That's a strange. It's really lovely that people kind of feel that safety then, because you've all you've like set the bar really. Like mm. I'm an open book, which literally. <laughs> yes, that's and safety which I've now violated by sharing with millions of people. I think Brené Brown calls it a vulnerability hangover. When once you've shared and you wake up the next day and you're like lying in bed and you just feel so like exposed, mm. but it's worth it once that goes away. Yeah, I remember when I finished the book, I this had this real fear that I had an image of me being chased out of the city with by people with pitchforks which is not a very 29 way for people to chase people away from things it'd be more of a, a twitter pylon i guess but i just yeah. like the image of pitchforks maybe but um yeah just that intense fear of i've left myself so unguarded here but that is that's how i try and live now i think is there's no i feel like if you're in a position if you have some platform the more unguarded you can be the more helpful you can be mm, and also in your personal life as much as possible whilst being safe and in yourself. I think it's, yeah, go vulnerability. Yes. It must be such a nice feeling for you to get such great reviews from your writing. I, I know that you wrote that. Was it an extract for, from the book in The Guardian about yeah. um, oh, something uh, about a failed, failed oh, acting? My career in acting. Every single person has been rejected. And and you just opened up that conversation. I love that. <laughs> well, now I've, now I've sort of folded failure into my brand. It's quite good because the more things that go wrong for me, the better. <laughs> Damn it, it this is doing well. That doesn't yeah. fit in. <laughs> Exactly. This is all very uncomfortable for me. But does it all make it kind of feel a bit, I don't know, it sounds really cheesy, but the kind of like, that didn't work out, but I actually found something even better. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of a theme running through the whole book is that it's full of failure and things that didn't work and relationships and careers and things I've tried to make sense of myself and have failed. But being able to reclaim those things as just being, since we're going down the cheese route, part of the journey, mm-hmm. like it really is. You kind of feel it wasn't for nothing. It had a meaning, even though in the, at the time mm. it was awful and felt like, you know, I wanted to die at <laughs> points. But I've made this thing and it's and people find it helpful and it's a way of connecting with people. That's a really incredible and unforeseeable mm-hmm. thing. You know, I would never have imagined that I'd be able to do this. I still can't believe I've done it, to be honest. And I find that helpful to know that we never know what's coming. That's yeah. the thing that pulls me through. It's like, you know, we always feel every moment 
I know everything about my life. All the rest has been prologue and now this is how things are and this is how things will always be. And that's that's not true. You don't know what's around the corner, what's coming, what you're going to do with the stuff that's happened, good yeah. and bad. It's amazing. And the fact that even when a year goes past, like, you know, when you get those like... <laughs> Facebook memories or whatever they are and you yeah. and you look back and you think god I was like really miserable then or really happy then or and you mm. just feel like a totally different person yeah sort of project forwards and have that sense like I know that probably in a few years I'll look back on this and be really embarrassed by the writing and what it is and but that's okay. Like, mm. You know, we have to give ourselves that that generosity and that large estimate. Okay, that was a stage in my journey and it was good and it had value. Yeah. However I feel about it now, you know, it's just letting ourselves off the hook a bit and accepting our story. Definitely. And I know there's a kind of tendency to once a book is out, people are like, oh, that must have been really easy then. But I think I read somewhere that you... You had a deadline. You'd like to do it in a year or something. Yeah. And, and I always think it's like they're so at odds with each other like this. How do you wrap up an experience like this in a like with a deadline? It's almost like that's kind of crazy. But at the end of the day, you you wanted to have it out by a certain time. Were there moments where you were just like, I can't do this? There was one moment that lasted the entire year <laughs> where I didn't do it. I've done two chapters by my deadline, and I and I thought about yeah. I was like, can I? What happens? I talked to people. What if I do have to give the advance back? What happens if I say no? Like, how mm. bad is it? Is it career ending? And, and what that was is, I wasn't prepared to be honest at that point. I wanted to tell a sort of uplifting story that wasn't that didn't cost me anything. Mm and didn't really go through what I was talking about. It sort of skated over the top and kind of cherry-picked a few sort of sound bites, I guess, or easy narratives. And mm -hmm. I guess there's some part of me that's deeply resistant to writing that book, and it would be a lie. And there's things I didn't want to write about, I guess, is what mm -hmm. it is. And I thought, if I want to write about my mental health honestly, then I have to talk about the things I'm most ashamed of that mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about and that I've kept hidden from everyone in my life. And that was excruciating, but I'm glad I did that. Mm. I really love the letters. Oh, I'm glad. They're just so lovely. I think that feels very, very personal. Like just the idea of reading someone's letters. Like even when you read old letters from the past, it's like mm -hmm. there's no, yeah. no one's trying to hide anything in those. Yeah, letters are so raw and immediate. And yeah. Yeah, it's that sort of electricity that exists between two people. It's a real privilege to be able to touch into that. Mm. And I'm, I know you've probably been asked this like loads, but how's your mum? <laughs> <laughs> I love her. Does want to know about my mum. Uh, she's great. I need to text her back. Actually, <laughs> um, I yeah, think it, she's, she's read it. Yeah, she's she's read it and she's she loves it. She loves all of everything. She's like, what can I do? Can I come on your press trips? And can I? What can I do to help? With the I love. Book? She's and, such an adventurer. I'm like, I want to be more like that. I mean, she is, but it's exhausting. It's always going. With, she's trying to join us some new homeopathy course now. She's like. It is very expensive. I'm like, the fact that you are saying it's expensive worries me because you spend money on just magic beans, as far as <laughs> I can see. I mean, she's always got a new plan idea. She's amazing. She's such an inspiration to me and now to lots of other people. She's always in a good mood. Bit of a like, bit of a life raft, really. Like those people who just, um, you, you're a bit like, how can you be like this every day when I'm not feeling like that every day? Yeah, the mystery of other people and how they are <laughs> is like. Well, what's it like being you? These people are a mystery to me. These morning people. <laughs> yeah. What? What is that? <laughs> Does that is that just there? Where you who's turning the lights on? What, what? I don't know. It's mad. To I me, mean, yeah. I, I would buy it. I would buy it in a magic pill if I knew what it was. But I think you can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. I was like, I could definitely Google that. But yeah, I bet you've had a lot of people kind of just saying the people in your book. And I guess she maybe would have known that people would get to know her as well. Was she? I guess she was okay with that. I said, you know, I was, she was the person I was most worried about showing the book to. And I was like, I've written this thing, and it's and and you're in it 
quite a big part of it and it's our relationship and you know I've written about you and, and how do you feel and she said well it's about time isn't it <laughs> I was like alright that's fine then uh, yeah no she thinks it's a huge adventure and she's really proud of me for yeah making sense of my past and trying to make something for other people and it's brought us closer together definitely Yeah, and she's delighted by it all Aww. she's my life raft I'm not going to lie I am imagining like a film adaptation <laughs> and I'm like who would they cast That's who so would fun. they cast I was going to say, there's not many many four foot nine actresses, but they're all four foot nine, aren't they? <laughs> but I wondered, did any of your previous acting, like, because obviously you you were doing an incredible plays, like, does any of that go into your writing, like, any of that experience when you embody? I'm trying to make yeah, a no, connection there. No, I get it. Yeah, I think I think there is one for sure. Certainly, empathy when you're writing about other people and looking at situations from different angles. Because as an actor, you you always whatever character you're playing, even if you're the villain of a piece you always you empathize with them you get inside them and see what motivates them so that sort of psychological act of what makes people tick what formed this person what do they want what are their what are the problems that they see in their life that's informs everything i do dialogue reading scripts and things that that kind of meaning that exists between two people in in dialogue i think is mm. a really exciting fun thing I, I, so i like writing that yeah setting kind of exciting moving around in places and let me see what's specific to act but I feel like there is definitely a link I'm trying to think it through now did you um, ever have that feeling of because um, I've got a friend who is a writer now but she went to acting school and she she was like I kind of knew a little bit that I wanted to write because I kept wanting to change the scripts oh such a writer <laughs> <laughs> was she better than the scripts do you think is she a good writer mm, I don't know oh, she's she a great no 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 I should say yes sorry yes yes she is no I hi <laughs> But I don't Hi, know friend. whether she's like reading <laughs> Hamlet being like, I could totally have rewritten this. Shoddy workmanship. Yeah. Overwritten. Can we just tweak implausible. this line? <laughs> Imagine. It's just not scanning, Bill. Can we have another go at that maybe? Another pass? <laughs> I think a lot of people are drawn to acting that are just creative. And even if they don't find that expression works for them because it's a very backwards, racist, sexist, mm. ageist industry. As long as they don't lose that spark that drew them to it yeah. they'll be okay like actors are very employable people mm. and must be quite resilient I mean the bit in your article as well that stood out which I know you made funny but actually really revealed a big issue was the the whole Dev Patel thing <laughs> mm, well yeah like I, I love Dev Patel his work's amazing but you're sort of taught to see these people as your competition because you think oh there's like there's probably four jobs for Asian actors so uh, these people are, are my competition and my enemies <laughs> like why are they doing well and I'm and I'm doing badly and it's this awful artificial like mm. setting the dogs on each other sort of mentality that you that's really hard to avoid in such competitive industry where you know you're judged so superficially and yeah. immediately and constantly um, and it's such a shame because actually it should be if anything this like yeah, these are your brothers these your are compadres your, these yeah, are your creative these are the people that want your, you to do so well yeah Absolutely, yeah. It's it's one of the perversities of acting in many creative industries, I think, where we perceive this competition and we isolate ourselves further as a result of it. And actually breaking free of that is a really liberating thing to try and do. Yeah. Is to see everyone as your ally. Totally. And we just need more roles. More yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the, yeah, the problem is not with, with us. It's the people yeah. who are, you know, it's gatekeepers and people that provide roles and opportunities, especially for, for women and people of colour. Yeah, mm. they're not. There's not enough opportunities, and they need to. That's something that needs to that needs to change. Yeah. What did you What did you ask me? I think about being resilient as an actor. Oh yes, yeah. So everything in my life since then, like becoming a, a journalist of sorts, <laughs> um, but but <laughs> none of that feels hard to me. I know it's a unrelatable thing to say, but having come from acting, this is easy. Mm. Like I don't walk in a room now and people look at me in three seconds and go, no, 
So I'm like, oh, okay, so I've got a shot at this, even though it's one shot in 400. I mean, that's, I'll take those odds. Yeah. Overacting. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough school. But when you graduate, you, it does give you resilience. Yeah. It's like that bit in La La Land where, um, I mean, it's my only reference <laughs> with uh, Emma Stone. And then she does her audition and someone just like goes on the phone and eats a sandwich while she's like crying. Yeah. Yes. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Like you just do these readings and people are just like so disengaged and glassy eyed. You're like, this means a lot to me. And I've spent three days like, working and you're not even looking at me. Who would be your actor, your casting, oh, not rivals? <laughs> I know, you know you know that question where it's like, who would play you in the story yeah. of your life? And then you, you don't like want to be arrogant and be like, yeah, but you want to get a name. But, the project will be much easier with a name attached. That's true. I know, I've gone totally off topic now, but I feel Good. like I've asked you most things. Oh, no, I have got one thing to ask. Mm. I read in an interview that you said, I don't think I can do nonfiction again. I certainly don't think I could. Well, I wouldn't need to do this again because this has been such a, a drawing together of my demons of like three decades more, nearly four. So, I mean, I couldn't. But also mm. it would be, it weighs on me the kind of, I, it's something I'm, I feel like I'm good at it life writing and drawing experiences from real life but that sort of however charitably you do it, it's kind of violence to turn people into mm. characters and and it weighs heavily on me the responsibility of it and not wanting to upset people and for the sake of people around me i, I don't know if i could i have a theory that that's why people just end up writing fiction because they're like I, ju I just can't do you know this amount of like mining of my own mm. feelings there must be a line on that yeah i feel like i need a buffer yeah because there's none <laughs> i know i mean i'd actually before coming to meet you i was thinking i was trying to like think about how you will be feeling because when you write a book and you don't think anyone's going to read it or you just make up that you don't think anyone's going to read it so you can write it it must be such a revealing time for you right now it's like just come out yeah and people are reading it yeah i think it's been less than two weeks and it's yeah it is overwhelming and strange and it's an alloyed feeling it's not just one thing and you can often feel like you're letting people down if they're really excited for you and yeah, you know, lots of people especially people that worked on the book are really excited and and I feel so many things I feel excitement but guilt and fear and hope and depression and grief mm. <laughs> all connected with it and it's it's hard to know how to arrange your face to express all of those mm. at once yeah so you end up just walking around like a with a face like a Victoria sponge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast, so it's great. Yeah, that, that face I just did was so just on the on the money. <laughs> so perfect expressive of what I've been stumbling towards but with words. That's why I love. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts, though, because it's like you can just do whatever you want with your face <laughs> as long as as long as the words come out. What's the What's the weirdest expression you pulled on whilst recording? God, I don't know. Maybe just being quite achy, like from smiling too much, just being like I'm gonna. Be a bit sad now. You do get the cheek ache, don't you, when you're being very social? Yeah, which is a good sign of a good guest, so. Yes, empathetic, yeah. generous, yeah. or psychopathically charming. <laughs> I might put, might put that in my bio. <laughs> but no, it is funny, that society stereotyping thing we have where it's like, oh, your book's doing well, so you must be happy. It's like, like such mm. a binary assumption yeah. we have for people and it's that I think that can be quite and also the time frame of a book in particular but I guess any like large creative work is you've been in this incredibly lonely place for so long and no one was texting probably no one was texting you every day being like this is amazing you've got this you're incredible like when you could have really used it yeah and now you sort of well I've, well I've done it now I don't really need that kind of yeah that particular kind of boost I'm happy you all love it but it's a really yeah you're lagging behind or you're in front you're not yeah. on the same page yeah ironically <laughs> 
so my last question, just something I was thinking when I was reading the book, is I think it's it's good for obviously people who might see themselves in it, but also um, I was thinking, God, this is such a great book for people that don't really understand because I think if you have never been depressed, you would just think that sounds totally alien. And I'm, I mean, it's good for those people that they don't know what it is. But do you think that's sort of a reason why you think it's important to talk men- about mental health is like, it can be so hard for the person trying to help the person as well? Yeah, it's like all those things, these massive forces that shape our entire existences, if you're affected by like the experience of being a woman or the experience, experience of being a person of colour, it's like, you can explain that in one sentence and someone will like, oh, I see. But they don't see like every, mm. you live with that every second that you're awake and in your dreams like mm. it affects everything how people see you and how you're able to make your way in the world or not it's like the stuff of your mm. sandwich <laughs> it's a terrible metaphor it's like the all yeah like it's everything it's the entire experience and it can be so easily sort of summed up and dismissed and actually with this i wanted to put people inside the physical experience of like panic attacks or depression mm. or whatever it is and, and then also show them the wider picture of how that affects someone over a, a life you mm-hmm. know over decades and how it affects and unpicks so much in someone's life, in this case mine. So people can, if they are lucky enough to not have any experience of that, can be like, oh, that's that's a lot that someone's dealing with that, that they're not letting me know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember someone saying to me once when, when my friend was going through a really bad time, she was like, I don't need you to like suggest anything. That was something I learned is just like, you literally just need to sit there and listen. Look, there's something about humans that just our experience needs to be seen and validated by being witnessed and acknowledged and let into the room. And that's really yeah. what's helped me with my own depression and traumas is letting them into the room and giving them the right to exist. Mm-hmm. And the more we talk about it, the more we don't see like being default happy as quote unquote normal. That's not even a thing. That's society painting that weird picture yeah. of people in adverts always smiling. I feel like there maybe is one normal guy, but we... <laughs> But he doesn't see the limelight, so we don't know who he is. <laughs> then he wouldn't be able to write such brilliant sentences as you, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And for anyone listening who just wants to know more, do you are you doing any like events or where can people follow you? Yes, I'm very disorganised, so I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to Edinburgh this Sunday uh, and I'll be doing some books doors after that and some festivals there'll be there'll be festivals uh east riding festival and is that harrogate follow me on twitter yes. twitter and i'll i'll let you know All when people tell me amazing oh they'll be so and i feel like with festivals they, they crop up don't they kind of as the year goes on so yes follow on twitter yeah there'll be what's the matter plenty is the matter <laughs> read read all about it <laughs> thank you 